everybody and welcome to the next episode in my podcast series, Did It Anyway, where we speak to people who are just inspiring, courageous and determined. Uh, The people that we have on this podcast are so focused on achieving their goals that nothing can stand in their way. And and today there is, it's no different with our guest uh, that uh, that I'm privileged to be able to speak to today. And I've got to tell you, you're in for a real treat um, listening to Kendall's story and and I won't, um, I won't keep talking on, but I'll, I'm going to introduce Kendall Levine straight away. She's joining us from Salt Lake City, Utah. So I've got another person that's overseas. But um, big welcome to you, Kendall. Thanks so much for coming on. You betcha. Thank you for having me. Come on. Yeah, no worries at all. Like I said, I think everyone's in for a big treat. This is such an amazing story of courage and determination that Kendall has and just a never say die attitude and that's what I've really been impressed with as I've learnt more about her. I actually learnt about Kendall on a program called Random Acts which is a really fun program that is about doing really kind gestures for people who have gone through some tough stuff in their life and uh, Kendall, Kendall's story is just just incredible. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let Kendall tell a bit more of her story, and we're gonna rewind time just a little bit if we could, Kendall, and and head back to when you were sort of finishing off high school, I guess, because uh, this the main part of this story has happened over the last sort of four or five years, um, and I just want to go back to when you were finishing high school, and why don't you tell us a bit about that? Because you just received a scholarship to go to college, because a pretty impressive basketball player um, that you were. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what was going on? back then in your life, when it was, um, and what was going on? For sure. So when I was in high school, I had this dream of, I want to be a college basketball player and just pursue my athletic career. And so I just worked so hard every single day. And I ended up getting a basketball scholarship to Casper College and Casper Wyoming. And I knew that that's where I needed to go because it was a pretty good program to play basketball for. And it was fairly close to home, but it was far enough away. And then, so I get to, I got to pass the college to play basketball. And I was so excited and so ready, so ready to start playing basketball. But when I got there, I was way out of my comfort zone. I was with teammates that didn't have the same beliefs as me or standards as me. And when I took them to the basketball court, it was like I completely forgot to play basketball. I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't even stand stationary in dribble basketball. So I was like, okay, what the heck is this? And so I, I would just work hard all the time, but didn't have any, um, no progression as to my playing abilities. Yeah, so in high school, I was a really good basketball player. Like I made all, all state teams, all county teams. And so I was just, Everyone knew me as Kendall Levine, the athlete. But when I got to college and when I stepped into the basketball court, I could not play basketball at all. And so I was just so lost and so confused that I just had all these abilities taken from me. For no, I had no idea what was going on. Wow, that must have been really challenging. After being one of the best players in your high school, to then go to college on a full scholarship and feel like you couldn't compete the way that you wanted to or play the way that you had previously done must have been very frustrating for you, I have no doubt. But that moment of that struggle um, caused you to make a decision where you decided to leave college and go and become a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that was a really courageous decision because you actually 
left not only your college, but you left uh, your country as well and came all the way to the other side of the world. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I was called to serve in the Australia Sydney South Mission. I was out there for one year, but sister missionaries are supposed to, I meant to serve for 18 months. Right, but you were out there for one year. And we're going to talk about why you're out there for one, one year. year in just a second. But that's a pretty significant decision to leave a scholarship at college um, and to go and and serve a mission for, it's for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You might have seen um, those guys or those or those sisters knocking on doors and um, and talking about the church, but that's what Kendall decided to do for um, for 18 months. Um, it had a, a big event happen, I guess, about a year into that 18-month term of service. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened that day? So about 18, or about one year into my into my service, my companion and I, we were driving down the road, we, and we didn't have an appointment at this time at 4.30 p.m. on September 5th, 2014. We were driving down the road, and I saw a double rainbow that I wanted to take a picture of. So he pulled 15 feet off of the road behind a row of trees. And I got out of the car to stop this picture. And as I was getting back into my car, the lady right across the street, she saw me pull up and you know, I would take the picture, but turned her back right as I was getting back into my car. And as I was stepping into my car, someone had fallen asleep about 50 yards prior to me. And... His car drifted 15 feet off the road to where I was at. So his car ran right into me, threw me about 15 feet. And he ran up on top of me. And he popped his chest on top. He popped his car top of my chest. And so at this point, since Blady had turned her back, she luckily she didn't see the accident happen, but she heard the crushing metal between the cars. And when she turned back around to see what happened, she screamed. She saw that I was gone missing. And so when she screamed, her son downstairs knew that something was wrong. He heard the accident happen, like, but he just thought, he just thought it was possum pants in the kitchen. But when, his, when he heard his mom scream, he knew something was wrong. So he ran upstairs, and she was pointing across the street to where I was at. So the car has actually finished on top of you. So he's hit you, uh, this car's hit you at a, a pretty good pace, obviously. Um, and this yes. act, and the car is now on top of you at this point in time. Yes. So the car, it was going about 40 miles an hour because you know, he fell asleep. And so when the car came to a stop, it was parked on top of me, pinning my chest to the ground. So I obviously wasn't breathing. And so guy across the street when he ran over to me, he saw that I was trapped, and so he ran back to his house. Well, he saw that I was trapped. And he knew that if he had to get the car off of me, or I would definitely die. So he ran back to his house, grabbed the car jack, and ran it back over to me. And jacked the car off of me, rolled me into a recovery position, and I threw up and I started to breathe. Wow. Had he not been there, I definitely would not be here today. So what happened after that? He grabbed a blanket from his house and the mom brought him back over to us. He had to sit with me for about 10 minutes until the ambulance got there to take me away. So obviously, since the ambulance took so long to get there, if if he wasn't home, if he didn't get to cough me, I would have definitely died because I wasn't breathing underneath the car because it was pinning me to the ground. 
he just asked me for about ten minutes until the ambulance did get there. Wow. So he so he's pulled you from the, the car, and that's allowed you to start breathing again. And then the ambulance has arrived, yes. and but not until ten minutes later. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. So then you've been rushed off to the hospital, obviously, um, and and now the work starts to try and to try and make you right. Obviously, there was significant damage. Can you tell me a little bit of the damage that was done to your body because of the accident? Well, this is kind of the crazy part of my story. So, the surgeons in the hospital, they're just so dumbfounded. And the missionaries from my church, all serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, they also went over to the hospital hospital to see what happened to to me and when the doctors came out of the came out of the the room they said we're sorry for your loss they thought that I would just I just wouldn't make it through because I had a lot of brain damage but the amazing thing is is I didn't have a single broken bone no no cuts or lacerations on my body I was just I should have been a broken piece of glass. But they didn't expect me to lift because there were so many bruises bruises on my brain. And the bruises will never heal, but they can reroute places. But they didn't think that I'd be able to make it through. So when they told the missionaries that I I wouldn't make it, the missionaries were just like, well, she's still alive. And so here I am today proving those those doctors that miracles, they do happen the way that they need to. Oh, I love that. That is awesome. At this point in time, so so you're now in the hospital and you've been told or, or the people around you effectively have been told that you're in real trouble and you're probably not going to make it. Um, do your parents know at this point? When did they find out? Because they're obviously back in the United States. Yeah. So... My mission, my, my mission president, he found out about the accident. He traveled down to Canberra, where I was at, and he FaceTimed my parents. And so the first picture that they saw me was in a hospital bed, in a coma. And so my, mission, my parents, they found out from the mission president that I was in this accident. He was like... My mission president, he told my parents just to give it a few days, not to worry, not to worry about going there to get me yet. But then like a few days later, my mission president, he told them that, yeah, it's probably a good idea that to get here to see, see your daughter. So they made the arrangements to get to Australia. And it only took them about two days to get there from the time that they, that they heard of the accident. And and at this point, when they arrived, what was the prognosis for you? Did it look like you were going to make it? No. Like, the doctors, they were just dumbfounded that I didn't have any broken bones, that I should be a piece of glass, like I said. They just did not understand what was going on. But my, my parents, they had more, better, stronger faith that something better was hap- going to happen. Something good had to have happened. It was going to happen. And what happened in the, the days after that? Obviously, there was some surgery that had to happen. I think um, when we discussed earlier, you mentioned about some brain surgery that you had to have. Um, so Yes. And, and they mentioned that you overheard some doctors sort of saying that 
she's not going to be able to get through this. Yeah, so so the doctors, they told my parents that they had to remove a portion of my skull because my brain was swelling. And if they didn't remove the, my skull, my brain would have expanded too much and my skull would have popped, blew up <laughs> pretty much. And so my parents are just like, okay, give us, let us go back to our hotel room and begin to think about it and decide. And the doctors, they told them, they're like, no, you have one hour. And if, if you have one hour, it'll be too late. Wow. And so my parents are just like, well, go ahead and take off her skull. And so right straight away, they took me into the operating room to remove about a third of my skull from the top of my forehead to about the crown of my, my skull of my head. They took out my skull so my brain could expand and swell. And my brain was put in a ice box for about five-ish weeks. For five weeks, like your that. skull was put into an ice box? Something like that. Wow. I think it was five weeks, yeah. That's incredible. Or three weeks, I don't remember. And that's a lot of pressure for your mum and dad. I mean, at that point, they're like, well, okay, you've got an hour. And they're like, oh, we'll do it then. They didn't really have a choice, I yeah. guess. Um, but that must have been terrifying for them to go through that that experience. But there was something that um, that you said in regards to – they said something along the lines of you're just going to be a girl in a bed. Is that is that how the doctors said it? Yes. So the my parents, they, they lived in Hawaii, and so when I was able to travel back to Hawaii, the doctor he immediately told them, that I would never get any better, that I would just be going on the bed, just put me in a home for the rest of my life because I was just so damaged, I wouldn't get any better. And so with that, my parents were just like, well, we, was this doctor saying that our daughter's not going to get any better? Because they knew better. They knew me. They knew my, they knew my, my power, my, my drive to push through the stuff that I go through. And so they knew something was better than having to just put me in a home for the rest of my life. And so that was part of the discussion that you they would need to put you in a home. Is that what they told your parents? Yeah. So the doctors, so this one doctor, he told them that I would never get any better because my brain was so damaged. They just put me in a nursing home for the rest of my life because they weren't they wouldn't be able to do anything for me. But that's clearly not the case, and that's what I'm happy to report is that's clearly not the case because you started to improve. And how long did it take for you to start to get some good Im- good improvement? Um, did you get some good improvement in the hospital while you were still in Australia or was it after you went back home? I had to get some improvements when I went to Hawaii because that's where my parents living, like, like I said. Yep. And my parents, they just had to give me to follow one command. If I could follow one command, then it would branch out to more. And so that uh, I can just start following these commands and just do what I need to do to get better and recover. And so they would try anything for me. Like with my eyes, lift up my thumb, with my foot, if you can hear me, or show me pictures of people that I knew, and some of my memories. But there was absolutely nothing, no responses. But this one night, my mom was in my room with me, and I had this little balloon full of flour. Because like as my hand would hands would contract, they would, it would squeeze the balloon full of flour, so that I wouldn't claw. My own hand. Yeah. And this one day, 
my mom was like, Kendall, turn your hand around and throw that ball. And so what did I do? I threw that ball. Wow. Thinking that I'm the athlete that I was growing up. <laughs> so I'm going to throw the ball. I will throw that dang ball. And so since I was able to throw that ball, it was, I was able to, like I said, follow more companions and it'll branch out to, to others after, afterwards. What was your mum's response when you threw the ball? Do you remember? I don't remember, but she, obviously I don't remember because I was in a coma at that time. Oh, so you were still <laughs> in the coma at that point in time? Yeah, so I was in medically induced coma. And my mom, she said that she was so excited. My dad, he had stepped out of the room for that time. And when he came back into the room, she was like, Dave, Dave, look at this. Watch her do this. So every time, every single time that she told me to throw that ball, I threw that ball. Wow. There's no hesitation, but I threw, the, threw that ball. So your parents at that point must have had some hope. They must have thought, hang on, this is going to be slow, but but we've got some progress here. Yeah, they, they knew that I, that I was better than just being a girl in the bed like that doctor said that I would be. And so if we if we skip forward a little bit, I want to talk a little bit more about your recovery because... I've been watching some videos online, as I mentioned to you before, and, and the recovery is, is quite amazing over the past few years. Um, when you when you first left the hospital, um, obviously you were in a wheelchair. Um, and how long did you stay in that wheelchair for? Oh, for too long. <laughs> Way I was too in long. that wheelchair for, for about <laughs> I was in that chair for about three years. I couldn't I couldn't keep myself standing up for very long. But you're not in a wheelchair anymore, is that right? No way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the wheelchair did me good, but I was sick of that thing. And so you went... So I just got rid of it. You've gone from a wheelchair and then you went to a frame, a walking frame. Yes. Which, is, yes. which you still use occasionally now, but when, but you've even progressed a little bit further than that. Is that right? I have. So I just, I use this, I'm trying to use a cane now. So I still fall down every single day with this cane, but... Never going to get any better if I just don't keep pushing forward and push through the pain and the struggles. So you've gone from a wheelchair to a frame to a cane. And what is your ultimate goal? It's to walk with nothing. To walk with nothing. And I've got to tell you, I watched a video of Kendall just uh, yesterday where she was walking uh, unassisted to a point. There was a guy behind her who had a little strap around her waist and he was holding on just for that extra balance. But she was walking, and something that was really impressive to me was she was walking and she fell over. And she got up, and she's walking, and she fell over. And it seems to me, Kendall, that no matter how many times you fall over, you just get up and you just go again. Is that fair? Yes, sir. <laughs> so I'm not going to get anywhere. just laying on the ground. Like, <laughs> i got to get up from where I'm at. Just keep pushing forward. Love that. I love that determination to, to keep going. I just think it's so brilliant. I want to talk a little bit about the brain damage. You mentioned that um, you had significant brain damage, but something that you said was that you your brain is able to create new neural pathways to allow you to relearn the stuff that you previously used to do. Now, we take for granted the ability to be able to walk, but you've had to relearn and you continue to relearn on how to walk. And so... Tell yeah. me about some of the struggles that you've had as you've done that, um, trying to trying to get your brain to create new pathways and get your body to work the way that you want it to. 
there are just so many things. Like when I'm at therapy, I'm like, well, this is so easy. Why can't I do this at home? So like, I'm like, well, I used to be able to walk. I used to be able to sprint. But why can't I do that now? My brain is just kind of tricking me, tricking me into these things or out of these things. And so I'm just like, you know, I was an athlete before. I was an athlete before then I had the mentality to, to work hard to do what I need to do. I'm not going to just be this girl, not able to do anything. i got to do something with my life. Now, as part of your recovery, you mentioned that, I mean, I'm sure it's been all the way through, but you mentioned particular times where you've struggled more than others. And you, you mentioned to me earlier about when you were going to therapy, maybe towards the start, and you had what you described as a bad attitude. Um, I'm sure it's completely appropriate from my perspective to be a bit frustrated about your situation. But you said to me that you had a bad attitude and then something changed in your head. Tell us what happened that day. Yeah, so, you know, I would always go to therapy quite often during the week, but I would just go there with a bad attitude, like, why am I here? I'm not getting any better. I'm not going to get any better, but just kind of hit my head, hit my brain. Well, it came to my head that, you know, I'm not going to get any better if I have these negative, negative thoughts, negative attitude. So I just kind of flip my thoughts around. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to have a good day. This is going to, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do what I need to do for therapy, for my therapist. And it was that day that my progression started actually to just like get better and improve. Even my therapist, she noticed that my persona had completely changed. She saw that I was more positive. That helped me get through the struggles that I had to go through during my therapy session. So since then, I've just ha- I just can't bring myself back to having these negative thoughts going to therapy, but I just got to have the best attitude that I have, that I can have, to go through what I have to go through to recover, get back to where I need to be, where I want to be. Do you find that you achieve more having that attitude than when you had the bad attitude? Yes, definitely. And and what's interesting there, Kendall, is that your situation hasn't changed. You're still in the same condition that you were. You've still had the accident. But you made a decision right at that point in time to say, no, I'm in control here. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it with a better attitude and I'm going to get, get more out of it. And you had a bit of a slogan, I guess, that you... Went, pl- went by, just play the game. And is that something yes. you think about often? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I made up that slogan. Don't worry about what you're going, what happened at school that day or what, what's going on tomorrow. You're in the game right now, so just focus on what you're doing right, right now. And that'll branch out to others also down the road. And so just play the game. Just worry about what you're doing right now. So then that you can improve down the road. And I'm sure the people that are listening have a similar experience in life, not a similar experience to yours, but just with different um, you know, situations or challenges that they have. And I think that's sound advice is we can't control the uncontrollables. We can't control everything that happens in our life. And sometimes life smacks us in the face um, and we have a really tough time. But I love that idea of just play the game. You're in the game. 
just play the game and control the bits that you can and play your part and play your role. And I think, Kendall, that's a, you've shown a great example of that in the way that you've handled your rehab. And I, I love it, even on the little video, it, it sort of showed you getting up and falling down and getting up and falling down. It wasn't, I'm sure you get frustrated, but in that video there wasn't too much anger. There was like, oh, oh a bit of a shrug of the shoulders, let's go again. And, and you mentioned earlier that when you do that, you actually try and analyse what went wrong. So how do I take a step? Did I take a too big a step, a wide step? Was I not straight enough? Can you tell us about that, what you do when you fall over? So when I fall over, a lot of it is just laugh, like, why did I just fall? Because kind of, yeah, it just doesn't make sense why I fell over. But when I do fall over, when I can notice, like, why I fell over, I just think of, like, what I need to do differently to not to not fall over. So I just have to, like, take a step back and look at how I did this, what I did wrong, so that I can improve the next time I try it out. Yeah, I love it. So we just sometimes we could be a bit more reflective in our lives, couldn't we? Rather than saying "why was me" and looking at everyone else and going, "Oh, my life is so hard," you've gone, "I've just fallen over again." All right, what can I have a bit of a laugh? I stuffed that bit up. <laughs> how can I get that? How can I improve that? Maybe next time I'll do it like this and just try and take the feedback back out of the situation and go, "There's there's something I can learn from this. Let's do something different next time." Um, great attitude. For to sure. Make. Now you haven't just you haven't just gone down the path of I want to walk again. You actually have gone and done something a bit more extreme, I guess, in the sense that you participated in a Ragnar relay. Now, for those that aren't aware of what that is, it's a relay. That's a team event, um, and people go over. A, I think it's a twenty-four hour period at least. Uh, but they have everyone runs a different leg or a different section of this, I guess, long relay event. Now, you participated in, in one or two of those, I think, Kendall. Could you tell us why you did that and tell us how it went? Yeah, so Ragnar is like a thousand-mile race with the teams. And my therapy place, it, it ran or walked this race for the patients. And it is, a, it is a fundraiser for my therapy place and my... We did it so that we could raise money for it so we can get more things at our facility and to get the name out there that people with my kind of injuries, there, there is hope for all of us. So we're not just going to be these people with these injuries for life, but we can improve and get better from it. And so with this 1,000-mile race, I... I, I <laughs> I walked one mile on my, my first year doing with my therapy. It was the hardest mile that I've ever walked in my life because I just was new to the walker and my muscles were still so weak. I couldn't keep myself up. And it was so, so hard. It was, I got so sore, so tired. So I'm just like, you know, I, I, I got to do this for my, for my team because they're expecting me to finish it. And as I was doing it, it you know, I, I kind of started to cheer up towards the end. So I was in pain. I was frustrated. And there's this one person, he came up to me, and he was like, Kendall, you're doing a really awesome job. And that kind of lifted my spirits up. And that gave me the strength to push through the, the remaining portion of my, of my walk. Wow. Can you tell me how long it took you to do your mile? <laughs> I think it took me about an hour and a half to walk one mile wow 
because my breasts were so, so weak and I got so, so tired and sore. But to not give up, to, to only be walking with your walker, only new, newly walking with your walker, to walk for that long um, is just an incredible effort. And how did you feel when you it completed it? It was so it? hard. I was, I was t- so tired and so sore. But I'm just like, you know what? I did that. I mean, because people, they told me that, well, the doctors, they told me that I'd never get any better. And that just kind of proved that I can do things. I can do things that I put my mind to and succeed. And I wasn't going to let my team down either. And so with that, my team had to trust me as well to finish my mile of the race. Even though the mile was so, so small and the thousand mile race, how we had to to run or walk. It was just a big step that they could trust me and do that to help them finish the race as well. And so being part of that team was an important part of of that experience for you, not just doing that by yourself. So you felt the real support from your team? Yes. Because they were always cheering me on. They always gave me hope. They always told me that I was doing a good job, even though I felt like I was not doing very well. They told me that I was doing what I needed to do. And that helped my team be able to finish that race. So there's two parts of it for me there that, that really stand out. Is One, that you had the self-belief to go and do this. This is significant. I mean, this is not long after your accident. You're doing your rehabilitation and you've got this opportunity to walk a mile. It's going to take you an hour and a half. That's, that's a lot of walking for anybody is an hour and a half. Um, but you had the self-belief to say that I can do hard things and I'm not going to quit. But, but it wasn't just that. It was that you had a team supporting you. And I think in life we could all do better at building our team around us uh, because that's going to give us the kick along and the support that we need in those hard times. I would imagine, Kendall, and I'm happy for you to expand on it, but I would imagine that without the support of other people around you, this, this journey would be almost impossible that you've been on over the last five years. Would that be fair? Yeah, because people around me, they just they keep giving me this hope that I'm doing so well. They, even though like I'm going through this hard thing, if I help this one person, that makes it all better. That gives me the extra boost to push through it as well. Yeah. And so these past four and a half years, they have been so hard, but having people tell me that I inspire them and I help them out with things that I have to go through, that gives me that extra boost to just keep pushing through it. Because if I can help one person, that just makes all the difference. Oh, I love that. Something that um, has really stood out to me as you've spoken is that we need to be more grateful. For, so for those that are listening, could we be, be more grateful for our current situation that we find ourselves in? You know, Kendall, I guess you're now in a situation where you don't have what you had previously, but you're still battling on to get as close to what you used to have in your physical abilities. But I think all of us could take a look at our own lives and be more grateful for what we have, be grateful for our ability to walk, for grateful for our ability to run, be grateful for all of those things and be aware that um, other people have, have real challenges that, that we don't have, even though we have our own set of challenges. Um, and I think you've inspired me to look at my own life, Kendall, today and, and think about how can I be more grateful um, for what I have? What else? Yeah, with that. Go ahead. 
a while back, my parents, they were just always complaining, like, this was so hard that day. They had a rough day or whatever. And I <laughs> just got to the point, this is when I couldn't really walk at all. I was so stuck to my wheelchair. And when they would just complain about something, and I'd be like, well, at least you can walk. <laughs> and that just shut them up. <laughs> and they're just like, you're right, Kendall, at least I can walk. And so that kind of gave them the mindset not to complain about what they don't have, but to be grateful for what they do have, oh, what they can do. That is a great point. Don't complain about what you don't have. <laughs> you know, um, I love that. What a great point. So is there anything else that you would like to share with us, Kendall? I think it's just, there's always hope and there's always going to be something good that you're not meant to just be this miserable, miserable person, but that you can always progress and get better as you put forth the effort necessary. Of course, you're not going to get any better just sit, sitting on your butt doing nothing. You just got to get out and put forth the effort to do what you want to do and do what you need to do for yourself and those around you also. Oh, that is that is great counsel for everybody. Don't just sit on your butt being miserable and <laughs> expect things to get better for you. You've got to go out and do it and go out and get it. And Kendall, I really yeah. feel like you are such a great example of somebody that has gone out and got it and continues to go and get it. This podcast is all about um, people sharing their story about how they did it anyway. And I think you're a real testament to that where you've been, life has thrown you some really brutal challenges. I mean, to be run over by a car and that car finish on top of you um, and be in a coma and have half of your skull removed and, um, you know, all of the neurological challenges um, that have come along with that. But it's almost like you sort of go, I don't care. I'm doing what I want to do anyway. People say I can't walk, I'm going to walk. People say I can't. Yep. Get out of bed. I'm going to do it anyway. And I think that is exactly the type of attitude that we all should live with in life. But sometimes our lives get busy and we get focused on things that are not quite as important. And today, Kendall, you've really given me a refocus moment where I can go back and go, yeah, that's what I've got to focus on. I've got to focus on going out and chasing what's important and focused on my dreams and go after them. Um, no matter the challenge that I face, circumstances don't matter. What matters is your effort yeah. and your attitude in those circumstances. So I want to say a huge thank you, Kendall, for being involved in my podcast today. I just I think you're an unbelievably inspiring human being and you need to remember that and believe that because you can share so much goodness with people around you. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Well, thank you for letting me share my story. So as I've mentioned with other on all the other podcasts, I, I encourage you to subscribe to my channel. Um, and hear, these, hear more of these amazing stories. There's more to come. And, um, but uh, grateful for Kendall and being with us today. So thanks very much, Kendall. And have a fantastic day, everybody. Cheers. Thank you.